Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. I was thinking this week about how easy our access is to mirrors. Have you thought about mirrors and literally where they are located. They're located every single place that we go. Our houses are built with them, and even the mirrors that are put in our house are not enough, so we buy extra mirrors to put on the walls in other rooms around our house. They're in our car. They're on our car. They're in public places, in public restrooms. They're here at church. And now, if, if you go somewhere that you don't have access to a mirror, if you go out on a hike or whatever, now our phones have a camera on the front, okay? So you can go ahead and, and take a look. This is a good thing. This is helpful. You can get a quick glance at yourself before a big date or before a big party or pictures or a job interview. You can always take a look. Like, make sure, is, is the hair good? Do I have any surprises hanging out of my nose? Am I all good? We have easy access to be on the other side of our appearance and and see what we look like, but that's not the only access we have to learn about ourselves. It's not just limited to experience. We have a lot of access today in our world to awareness of who we are emotionally as well. In fact, I've shared this before, but when it comes to self-awareness and like personality tests and exams out there, this has become a $2 billion industry that is out there designed for you to learn about you. There's tools and resources, there's podcasts and books, there's tests, there's counseling that's designed specifically for this. And it's for a good reason. Because honestly, self-awareness has the ability to affect every single area of your life. See, self-awareness emotionally is known as something called EQ or emotional intelligence. And studies are starting to show and find that emotional intelligence actually has more impact on your career than any other thing about you. That, that your EQ has a higher effect than, than your IQ, than your education, than your experience, than your skills, talents, or even personality. In fact, statistics are showing that 90% of, of job performers who are succeeding have a high EQ. What that means is that those that are doing well have strong self-awareness. But self-awareness's effects don't just stop in the workplace. A lack of self-awareness emotionally, it can affect your marriage. It can affect your relationship with your parents or with your kids. It can affect your, your friendships. It can affect your relationship with your church and it can affect your relationship with God. So it is a good thing that we have a lot of access to the other side of ourselves, to learn about ourselves, to see ourselves both physically and emotionally. But the flip side of that is that we have so much access and we spend so much time learning about ourselves, studying about ourselves, spending time thinking about ourselves that we can easily drift from self-awareness into self-obsession. And self-obsession is not self-awareness. See, self-obsession leads to isolation, 
division and separation, just like a lack of self-awareness does. This is what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 3. He said, for the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Don't think of yourself more highly than you not. Don't over, don't, than you ought. Don't over, don't over obsess about yourself, but rather with sober judgment. You see, I think that in our day and age, we don't lack a total awareness of who we are. I think that we are drifting into an, an obsession of ourselves. And when we're so intoxicated with ourselves, it is hard to bring sober judgment to assess who we really are, especially in this digital age. We don't just study ourselves, we post about ourselves all the time. We are a me culture. So I thought I'd have some fun and, um, and throw it back a little bit. It just took me a while to find, but I hunted through some old pictures. So in high school, um, for me, there was a social media called MySpace. I don't know if you heard of MySpace. Uh, if you've never heard of MySpace, it was basically like our society's gateway drug to Facebook, okay? And, um, I mean, this really took me a while to find. And when I couldn't find it at first, I thought maybe my sister's holding it, you know, against me. But this was one of my profile pictures, okay? And I just need to, like, start with, please have some grace, all right? This is, I'm probably 15 years old when I, when I took this picture. It's not duck lips, all right? But it's as close as you can get to duck lips. This is a mirror selfie, I think, um, this is before you had, uh, you guys can throw it up now. Um, this is bad. Uh, let's keep it up there. Uh, I know you have questions, so do I. Um, Are you in Top Gun? I, yeah, yeah, Top Gun, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is before, you know, it's smartphones, so, uh, you know, had the camera, got to get it just right. And you can understand, I'm a little bit of an artist, a little bit of a musician. Uh, I was homeschooled, I've already told you that, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this was really helping me get the ladies, I promise. I promise. I couldn't think of a better picture that, that shows self-obsession, right? Like, I was really into myself. The pop collar, I've got, I've got the wristband on. I'm not playing a sport at the moment, right? <laughs> All right, you guys can take it away now. Um, This is what self-obsession looks on you and I in everyday various forms in our lives. It, it took a couple years for me to get to a place where I'm like scrolling back through and I'm like, what? <laughs> did, did I take that? I don't have any honest friends who could like tell me like what I looked like and, and the way this came across. And that's the way it is for you and I. Like when we're, when we're obsessed with ourselves and we can't really see who we are Clearly, it takes a couple years till we go, go, go forward and we're looking back and saying, wait a minute, now, now I can see it. Now I can see what I was missing about who I really was and who I really am. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote some great material about this in 1 Corinthians. God used him to encourage this church 
to not boast in themselves, just like what he said in Romans, like don't think more highly of yourselves. And then he gave them this list that could, could help them understand who they really are. And I think it can expose for us an opportunity to remove some blinders in our life that are keeping us from seeing things clearly so that we don't have to go a few years and then look back and be like, whoa, I totally missed it. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians. We're gonna go to chapter one. I'm gonna start at verse 25. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And something that you'll hear throughout this series before I continue reading this is, is you're gonna hear this often. For us to have a real understanding of who we are, it starts with really starting to understand who God is. Like when Paul says, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought, a lot of times we will place ourselves above God and as soon as that happens, we're missing the whole story of who we are. God is our creator. He's, his thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. And so Paul, before he even gets into this, is reminding them, like, no matter how wise you think you are, no matter how, how, how um, planned out you are, you are limited. God has a better picture. So one of the most important places we can start in understanding ourselves is start to learn who God is as our creator. So Paul goes on in verse 29. He says, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. And this next verse is this list that Paul kind of throws in here. This is what it looks like where Jesus becomes wisdom itself. This is the wisdom that he offers to you and I. It says that Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from sin. So therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. This is a picture of sober judgment. This is recognizing that the only accurate way to view ourselves is not by who we are and what we've done, but who Jesus is and what he has done for us. When we are boasting in ourselves or thinking highly of ourselves or looking at who we are and what we've done, there's three blinders that will keep us from seeing ourselves, and that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to pull it from this list. So the first blinder that we're going to talk about is the blinder of self-righteousness. Paul said in that list, one of them was, Christ made us right with God. Christ made us right with God. Self-righteousness is when you think that you had anything to do with that formula. That is when you think that your actions had anything to do with you getting right with God. Paul makes it clear. It's Christ who makes us right with God. Self-righteousness is this disease where we feel like we're close to God, but we completely, we completely miss Jesus. It is where we walk in pride of how much better we are than other people. And self-righteousness is not self-awareness. It's not truth. First John says this, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. 
If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. And Titus, Paul had talked about how Christ died for us and it wasn't because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy for you and his mercy for me. There was a group in Jesus's day that walked in self-righteousness super clearly, and this was the Pharisees. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, you've probably heard about the Pharisees. The Pharisees would disassociate themselves with people that weren't like them. The Pharisees would often hold the rules and regulations and laws over other people's head. And they would kind of set themselves up as a hierarchy within the culture. Jesus was right in front of them. They exchanged conversations. They saw Jesus perform miracles. He was right in front of them and they couldn't clearly see who he was, which prevented them from clearly seeing who they were and how they came across. We've read this passage before, but I don't think we can ever be over-reminded of this story that Jesus shared. This is in Luke 18. It said, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like the other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dare not even lift his eyes to heaven. As he prayed, instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this. This sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Self-righteousness will blind you to your need for Jesus. It will blind you to who he is, which ultimately blinds you to who you are and how you come across to other people. In fact, church, I, I just wanna, I wanna encourage you. Some of you might be here today that you're kinda on the outside looking in. You're not sure what you feel about Jesus. And I, wa I wanna say this to us as, as believers, those in the room that are believers, in front of those that are, that are curious right now, our self-righteousness is extremely unattractive. Self-righteousness within the church is a deterrent to Jesus, and it's not representing him. It's not reflecting who he is, and it's causing many people who were curious about Jesus to not really want anything to do with it. The Pharisees that walked in self-righteousness were a deterrent. They pulled people away from Jesus. They pulled people away from their greatest need. I wanna encourage you, I wanna encourage you that if God is, is, is calling you today and he's putting his finger on your heart in some areas where maybe you've begun to be puffed up in who you are and what you've done, maybe today you would just ask God, like, would you, would you help me to humble myself before you and remember that I needed you all along?
I thought this was a great quote that I found by John Piper. He used the word Pharisee, but we could substitute it for self-righteousness. You know you're a Pharisee when sin disgusts you more than it moves you to compassion. It's like we could sit with that for a moment. You know you're a Pharisee when sin disgusts you. Like it's, it's more like your arms are crossed. And, ugh. As opposed to when you see sin and the way that the enemy is attacking our world, moving you to a broken heart and compassion, knowing, knowing that if it wasn't for the grace of God, you would be in the exact same situation. Self-righteousness is a blinder to who he is, which is a blinder to who you are. Blinder number two, self-indulgence. Self-indulgence. This is the flip side of self-righteousness. This is the totally opposite end of the spectrum. In that passage, Paul had said, Christ made us right with God. He made us right with God. It also said, he made us pure and holy. You see, Jesus is holy. He walks in holiness, and what holiness means is set apart. Like in a world that is broken, he chose to trust the Father. And, and, and Jesus, the Bible tells us that he experienced the same temptations that you and I experience, but instead he chose to continually trust the Father's better route and better path. He would say no to himself to say yes to Jesus. When we allow Jesus to make us pure and holy, he will teach us how to walk that path. But what you and I typically do when we walk in, in the opposite direction is we say yes to our flesh. And we find ourselves saying, I, I, you know, I know that, that that way seems like it's what Jesus said is right, but as I'm computing, this is what I feel like I want to do, or this is what I feel like I should do, or this is what's going to make me happy. Following Jesus doesn't always make me happy, so I'm going to choose this route. I want to look at Romans chapter 1, where Paul addressed this a little bit. In verse 22, he said, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. What Paul is describing here is people chose to place their trust in, in essentially idols and things that they placed and said, I'm going to trust the direction of this because it makes me happier or makes me feel better than God's route. And when people choose that, what God allows is, okay, you have that choice and I'm gonna give you over to that. But what we end up not being self-aware. It said instead of wisdom, it looked like fools. And it was the degrading of their bodies. When we give in to self-indulgent, we are hurting ourselves and other people around us and we can't even always see it. And you may have seen this play out in your life personally. Maybe you've, you've walked this personally or you've seen someone very close to you walk this where decisions of giving in to what yourself wants, indulging in the flesh over time leads to a really unhealthy addiction in some area in your life. 
or it leads to a really unhealthy spot. And if you've ever been in an unhealthy addiction or you've known someone in an unhealthy addiction, when you're in an unhealthy addiction, like you may realize that things are off, but you can't even see how clearly you are degrading yourself and those around you. If you're on the outside, you can see it. You're like, you're, you're shouting. You're, you're, you're like, you're praying, God, can you just help them see? Like they're hurting themselves and they can't even see it. When we self-indulge, we are degrading who we are. And it's not just in the big areas. That's where I wanna press pause and encourage you. It's not just the big ticket items or the big addictions that this happens for you and me. For you and I, it's in the small compromises. It's in the small things where we say phrases like, I know I probably shouldn't, but. I I know I probably shouldn't do this. That's where we say we're kind of the exception to the rule. God, I know you've got a path, but it's, I mean, it's small. It's small. When we do this, we're stepping out of trusting his purity and his holiness that he set out for us. This is, this is why we see situations like where, where people are trying on marriage by, by living together before they get married. And this happens a lot, and I'm not, I'm not sharing this to sh- throw shame. If, if you're in that category in this room, I'm just using an example, a real-life example, where we see people saying, look, you know, it kind of makes sense. Let's try this thing out. Let's make sure that we're fully compatible. This is a lifelong decision. And if you think about it in your flesh, you can come to that conclusion that, hey, it makes sense to try this on before we step forward. It's, it's why so many people do this. But if you actually went and studied statistics, it would show you that for people who live together before marriage, they have a higher divorce rate than those who do not. And I believe the reason is because when we start to compromise in the small areas of our life, what we're saying to God is, I know you have a a plan and and a way of doing things, but I think my way makes more sense, and I'm the exception to the rule. When we choose to, to do that, we're setting ourselves up to do that again and again and again. And when we set ourselves up to be an exception to the rule and say, I know I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to, that's not a good strategy for your marriage. It's not a good strategy for your walk. It's not a good strategy for your life. Self-indulgence is a blinder for who he is and his plan for your life, which is ultimately a blinder for who you are and how you are coming across. Paul gave advice on how you can combat this. Romans 13, 14, he said, instead, Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Don't think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Walking away from self-indulgence is choosing self-denial instead. And that is how Jesus described his followers. He said that those who will deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. Saying no to ourselves is a way to step into following Jesus. And when we talk about him making us pure and holy, this isn't about you being perfect all of the time. This is not about you never tripping up. That is not possible. You are still human. 
okay? And we're on our way. But what this is, is I am, every time I can, I can, I'm pouring my heart out. I'm turning my thoughts as often as possible away from indulging myself, my evil desires, and towards Jesus. And while he came to me in my mess and, 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 and now invites me to follow him, on my way to following him, he is making me pure and holy. This is an active walk that you and I get to be in. But self-indulgence will send you the other direction and you'll be completely blind to it. Blinder number three, self-preservation. Self-preservation. Paul said that he made us right with God, that he made us pure and holy, and then it says that he freed us from our sin. Other translations say that he is our redemption that he is the one who saves us fully. Self-preservation is one of the saddest places, I think, that people can land in, and one of the areas where we may not even wake up and realize that we've missed Jesus all along until it's too late. And Jesus chose to share a parable about this in Luke 14, and this is a really sobering story, but it's truth. It says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God, and Jesus replied with this story. He said that a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready, but they all began making excuses. One said, I bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. He had business to get to. This was his business, his livelihood. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servants had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. I was trying to tell this story um, the other night to Haley. She's, she turns four next month, and so we're getting ready for bed, and I'm explaining the story. And uh, she was like, well, what, you know, what kind of food is at the banquet? Baby, what, what, what food do you hope is there? What's your favorite? She's like, well, she goes 10 minutes. I'm telling you, nonstop pizza, cereal, eggs, hamburgers, cheese. She keeps going. I'm like, keep going, baby. That's right, that's right, that's right. Jesus has so many good things for you. He knows the things that you love. She just said like, Daddy, why would no one want to go? Why would they not want to go? I just told her, I said, well, baby, some people are blind. Some people can't see how much they need it. 
They can't see that, that it's better because they're caught up. This is gonna be a sad, sobering day. Remember Paul said, don't think more highly of yourselves than you are, but rather in sober judgment, this is going to be a sobering day when people wake up and realize that the land they bought, it doesn't last. That the business they're building, it falls at the feet of the one true king, Jesus. And that every other relationship they've poured into here is temporary. Their relationship can't save them from their sins. It is only Jesus. A lack of self-awareness, it can affect a lot of areas of your life. It can affect your job. It can affect your friendships. It can affect your family. But the greatest effect that it has is on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it can keep you from the one who can save you. We're gonna talk about learning about ourselves throughout this series, but it's so important that we start and anchor in the truth that a true self-awareness really begins with a true Christ-awareness. That if I could sum up this message for you in, in, in one way, and really this, you'll hear this multiple times throughout this series in multiple ways, but it's, it's this truth that I see who I really am when I see who he really is. I see who I really am when I see who he really is. Some of you are here today and you have been curious about Jesus. I want you to know that he's given a free invitation, a free invitation into eternity, a free invitation to the banquet. And I promise you that it is way better than anything you're placing your hope in to preserve you here. Some of you are chasing what your flesh wants. And maybe you're starting to see that it's not working out so well. Jesus wants to invite you into a place where he can make you pure and holy. No matter what you've done, no matter what mess you've made, you're not too messy for him. And some of you have placed your hope in how good you can do it. And today, you need to let that go. That's too big of a weight for you to carry. It's a weight you were never meant to carry. And you need to hand it over to Jesus and let him be who makes you right with God. He is our righteousness. That's for those that don't know Jesus. And in a minute, we're gonna pray. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say yes to that invitation. But there are others in this room, you've been following Jesus for a while, and maybe one of these three, or maybe multiple out of these three, caught your attention this morning. Maybe the Holy Spirit is kind of making your heart feel heavy to understand that, that he's trying to get your attention about something. Because it's possible to say yes to Jesus, start following him, and in our humanity still falter off and start to miss again who he really is and miss who we should be and who we are in him. And today it may be a step to walk back towards him, to re-engage and allowing him to make you right with God, him to be your guide for purity and holiness, to lead you in that direction, and the reminder that he's freed you from your sins and you are redeemed. Would you pray with me, church? If you're here and you wanna give your life to Jesus, you might just say this, Jesus, 
I recognize that I need you. And this morning, I ask that you'll save me from my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I know you are who make me right with God. Today, I choose to follow you into your better way, purity and holiness. I thank you for freeing me from my sin, for the victory that was heard around the world when God raised you from the dead. I'm in from this day forward. God, for the rest of us in this room, we have so much access. We have so much access to see who we are, both physically and emotionally, Lord. But I pray this morning you would remind us very clearly that that all of those sources are simply resources to learn some, some extra details or some tendencies or motives, but Jesus, I pray that you would remind us that the true source, the one and only source for who we actually are is you. It's you. So I pray that we would walk out of here with a desire, with a hunger to learn more about you. That that would be the looking glass that we would want to peek through. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.